Hey guys, it's me, Gilmy again. How? Hope everyone's having a fantastic week. I am very happy this week to announce I have over a hundred lessons on this thing, and I honestly thought that would take me a much, much longer, longer time to would would get there. This week, I just want to say I have the pleasure of ta- having on the bloodstained hurricane himself, Jesse fucking Amato. It was a great com- conversation. We had we just shot the shit for a bit, talked talked about wrestling, talked about a couple couple other things you have to listen in to have, find out there. But it was really fun just to talk to you, talk to Jesse. And it was a uh, was a nice long com- conversation, so I'm going to cut this up into two or three parts just letting you know, so a little to be continued thing. And just want to say thank you to Jesse at well, for coming on and uh, doing this and just going to give a little bit of how me and Jesse first first met. Me and my my buddy Ryan, he will you know, I'll eventually get him on this thing. But he we went to a wrestling show in in London and I just walk up to uh, Jesse and just say, "Hey, just here really excited to see see their uh, show." And they were doing a six-man barbed wire match for the Death Proof Fight Club title, and it was a it was a great match, and really enjoyed watching it. But the really cool thing was that Jesse stopped what he was doing. He grabbed a poster, signed signed it for me, and we went around and he introduced me to all the Death Proof Fight Club guys. Got him to sign my uh, poster, and it was just was one of those really cool moments at at an independent wrestling show. And then I've pretty much been following his career. We've become friends over over time, and just talking on Facebook, and and yeah, just got to know the guy guy a little bit over the years and i'm just glad glad i'm going to go see him on february 5th at death proof fight club in etobicoke and hopefully i i get to see a couple people there he's in the main event the title title match jesse amato versus warhead and i'm bringing my dad and my brother which should be real really interesting they've never been to a death death proofy event before they're not even big 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 wrestling fans to be totally honest but i'm bringing them anyway and it it'll be fun we never really get get to hang out and here we go good morning good evening good night welcome to gilmy gilmy talks again and this week guys i have an amazing guest i have the bloodstained hurricane jesse fucking amato and i'm actually really excited about this guys it's um he's my first non-friend right now but yeah i yeah i I would say we're friends and the great thing about this i edit my stutters out so it's all good (laughs) (laughs) non-friend i'm gonna start calling you a dick (laughs) okay (laughs) okay you're not you're not somebody in my close personal life that i i can just be like hey you're in it you have an an, an, an interesting story. Shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, see, this is why why e- editing is a lovely thing. All right. Yeah, editing quick. Oh yeah. I think I just fucked up your whole intro. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, wait, well, you know what, man? I haven't got a solid intro in in yet on these things. Yeah, great. Uh, so. Interview a non-friend and he's out there calling you a dick and a piece of shit in the <laughs> So basically, you are one of my friends. It works out works out fine. All it's right. Facebook official. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is your uh, your earliest wrestling memory? When did you first fall in love with with it? Oh, that's a good 
question. My earliest wrestling memory, well, I started watching when I was, uh, I was two years old. I know that part. Uh, my grandpa was hard into it. My grandpa was actually uh, one of those old school tape traders back in the day. So I got exposed to a lot of different stuff. So my first memory of a match that I watched was actually Japanese. And it was um, Jushin Liger versus Tiger Mask. Holy shit. <laughs> and it sticks out to me because like at the time I had no fucking clue like how good these guys actually were, right? Right. Because I'm, I'm obviously two years old. I just liked their look. Like, Jushin Liger just looks so different to me. And I, yeah. I always said as a kid, like, he's my favorite wrestler. Yeah. And really, like, in on pay-per-view, the most I got to see him generally, other than tapes that my grandpa traded, was on early WCW when he was, like, the opening match when the Rogers box always fuck up. And <laughs> I ended up miss having Jushin Liger matches. But thankfully, there's this thing called WWE Network, so I get to watch Jushin Liger matches on Super Brawl whenever I want. Those are my earliest memories, actually, were the Japanese wrestling. I just, it, it looks so different and it stuck to me. It was almost to a point when I started watching, like, WWF and shit when I was on TV. Like, I thought the ring looked weird, but, and all my friends are like, what are you talking about? Like, that's normal. Like, no, it's supposed to have, like, one turnbuckle, not three turnbuckles. Like, you know how, like, Japan had those big-ass pads in the corners? Yep. Back in the day. So, like, I don't know. That's my earliest wrestling memory is Japanese Purasu-style wrestling. My boys are big into Voltron and Transformers right now, so I am okay with Beauty. that. Yeah. <laughs> And I didn't push them. They they found it on Netflix. I mean, I mean, ourselves. Oh, Netflix! Netflix is probably going to save your many children. Yep. Because no more crap about vegetables. No, and there's no more Saturday morning cartoons on the TV. No, there's not. Like no. TV sucks. Like 100. percent Like like I'd, I have Rogers, but like the only stations that are ever on are Discovery, History, History Two, and the network. Yeah. That's really about it. I guess comedy sometimes. I put on comedy when I have good standups, but even standups are all on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, did you see the Gabriel Iglesias one yet? Yes, I did, actually. The one from uh, Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Actually, my favorite one this year was the Joe Rogan one, Trigger. Oh, yeah. Trigger was hilarious. I have not seen it yet. I'm just... a big Joe Rogan fan, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. one day he'll tweet me back, I'm sure. <laughs> one day, one day. After <laughs> the, uh Well, he, he only has, what, like 70 million followers or, or something? Oh, probably. Yeah. Dude's a genius. Like, all of his stand-ups are just so funny because they're, like, so thought out, but they're so stoner-friendly, you know? It's totally from a stoner's perspective, yeah. but everything he says makes perfect sense. He's one so of those... So it's almost who... like... It's a history lesson, but it's hilarious. Yeah. No, he's one of those intelligent stoners. He's not, like, um... You, you know the type I'm uh, talking about, like... Yeah, like a Mitch Hedberg. Where yeah. Mitch Hedberg, like, I, I love Mitch Hedberg, but he's, like, the stoner that's a stoner. Yes. You know, where yes. he says the stupid shit like, I want to be a race car passenger. <laughs> Just a guy who bugs the driver. <laughs> Fuck, I miss Mitch Edward. I wish he didn't uh, die. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's he great. But the thing I found out, found out, out about that guy, he was either on or he was completely off and had terrible shows like um mm. now a friend of mine seen him seen him live years and years ago he sees every comedy act he possibly can and and he saw mitch and uh, and he said it was the worst show he's ever seen and i'm sitting here going what are you talking about it's mitch hedberg how can he have uh, have a bad show apparently he wouldn't even look at at the audience half the half the time yeah because he had but, really really bad social anxiety and that's why he wore those sunglasses that would make he was sense himself. that would like, make he, he was legitimately scared to perform like every time 
Oh, yeah. That's why. So I'm sure if he didn't have his fix, which if he's American going to Canada, he doesn't really know anybody where he could get his fix from. Yep. He's probably extra fucking blah, but everything. All right. Uh, when and where was your first match? It would have been eight years ago in May. Uh, fuck, what day was it? I think it was the 15th or 16th. I honestly don't remember the day. I have to consult referee Vander Cruz on that one. He's got he the is, He is like a freaking encyclopedia about everything, eh? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like my, my legitimate best friend, right? Him and oh. Adam Hayes. Yep. So he's documenting my entire fucking career for me, thank God, because I can't <laughs> remember jack shit. But yeah. it was in May, and it was in Port Hope, Ontario, against Misty Haven, when I used to dress up as a fucking cross-dressing woman. <laughs> God dang I I just won my first match and I got offered a spot and said we want you to dress like a girl and parody another female wrestler Mercy and I was the illegitimate daughter of of the old manager Jesse Jones fuck I miss that guy he was such a good manager but that was my first kind of gimmick before it morphed into becoming another cross-dressing wrestler called Crystal Meth (laughs) (laughs) that was the early humble days of Jesse Amato as I was a woman and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wrestled her in Port Hope in front of, uh, I don't know, probably like 60, 70 people. It wasn't a big house or anything, but yeah. it's all right. It was awesome. You know, Misty was really good. I actually really missed Misty being around. One of my dream matches that I want to see on the indies, like, if it could ever happen, would actually seeing uh, Jules against Misty Haven. I think that match would have been phenomenal if it yeah. was able to ever come to fruition. But I'm pretty sure she retired now. I'm not too sure. I, I, haven't, I haven't, haven't seen her on any heard, shows. I haven't oh. heard her her name come up in a while. Oh, like, just, yeah. it was very shortly after that when I think that she might have hung him up. Yeah. I still see her husband every once in a while popped up, uh, Michael Von Payton, but... Yep. Even him, I don't really see too much, so I don't know. That's something I have to look into. I'll mm. write that one down. Okay. See if I can track that down and see if I can get that book somewhere. Because I think that will be a fantastic, amazing match, personally. Yeah. But yeah, that, that no, was a good match. Well, that's an, an interesting one. Yep. Yep. Before I was all blood and guts, I was wearing makeup and had fake tits. <laughs> And oh, it's, it's ridiculous, man. Like, the, they went to the dollar store and bought these stupid sombrero things, right? <laughs> and, like, for, like, dolls, and we, like, cut off the ring so, that, like, the top perky parts are there. We put them inside of a bra. And it was so fucking itchy. Like, I'm actually, like, a straw hat on your nipples. <laughs> I had a shitty pink sports coat on that didn't fit me at all. <laughs> I had to sit there and... These two girls are sitting there doing my makeup. They're, like, loving the whole thing. They're doing, like, girls' makeup on a guy. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get your start, right? Hey, man, yeah. Because I'll be I'll be honest. I've always wanted to wrestle. I've always wanted to, for to do it. I wanted to give it a shot. Just at least do the training, do something. Do it. But here's the thing. I'm 36, and oh. I got four kids. You can still make it happen. Oh, yeah. No, it'll... I'm waiting until they're a little bit older. I'm going to do a little segue here. Uh, training. Yeah. Where'd you get get trained by and by uh, who? I trained at a little school called Figure Four Wrestling. Um, they were... At the time, they were located in Bradford, Ontario um, by Chris Cutthroat Garvin and Ruffy Silverstein. Both of them are graduates of the Heart Dungeon. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Chris Garvin, he actually went on to become a trainer for Teddy Hart School that he opened just after the Duncan Matt Rats up in Calgary. Um, so they both, I mean, 
They're both pretty well-known around here. At least they were roughly more so than Chris. Um, Chris just kind of went to just kind of more so just trading and keeping his emphasis on that aspect, where Ruffy still works for PWA very occasionally. But I went to them because they're a smaller school. I mean, there's nothing against any of the schools that were around at the time. I mean, they're all great. But I just found that being out in buttfuck nowhere, Bradford, Ontario, I had copious amount of ring time, like, crazy amount so like i'll go to practice and there's like four people there instead of going to practice and there's 12 13 people there yeah so it's a lot of one-on-one a lot of a lot of time just practicing and getting my craft out so it kind of accelerated the process a little bit yeah. i started when i was 19 and i had my first match when i was 20 so i might have been training maybe four or five months at the time i mean depending who you talk to it's not enough time but it was enough time that I got by, in a sense, you know what I mean? I mean, look, here I am, almost eight years later, and I'm still an active wrestler, so yeah. they did something right. But also, you never also ever stop learning, you never stop training, and if you say that you do, then you should just retire, because you've yes. given up at that point. You're constantly doing something. I mean, I've gone to at least six or seven different schools between then and now, just yeah. learning a little thing. You learn a little technique here, a little technique there, then you just kind of piece together what works for you, you know? And then I'll learn one way to slap on a slide headlock from Chris and Ruffy, then I'll go do a class at Squared, and Rob Fuego will teach you a different way on how he likes to do it. And you just kind of pick and choose from that point. I mean... And you just kind of go from there. That's just kind of the way my outlook is on it. I don't say that. I, I don't see that there's a wrong way. There's just a way that's believable and a way that looks like shit. That's the way that I kind of look at it as. Yeah. You know, the whole point of wrestling is bullshit. No matter how you look at it, you're trying to sell somebody on pretend fighting. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because... But, like, but at the same time, like, I don't even, I, I don't like referring to it as pretend fighting, but because, like, the bumps are real, the pain's real. Like, it's, it's very hard to explain pro wrestling to people. But essentially what it comes down to when I boil it down is you got to try to make them believe. You know, you got the group of people that are there and they want to believe and they're going to go on every single thing that you do. But then there's a whole other aspect of just people that don't believe or might think wrestling's retarded because they see it as nothing more than two grown ass men in spandex, oily, jacked up pits and fucking pretend fighting like that's basically what you would think foreplay with your girlfriend should be, not with another man for somebody else's entertainment. You know? Yeah, because I yeah. I am, as you know, I am a big, big, big fan of wrestling and the hardcore deathmatch. Pretty much, I like it all. I can watch, mm-hmm. I can watch the lucha stuff. I can watch anything, and I can, I just enjoy watching it. And how I, I've always explained it to people. What these people do is hard. It's the athleticism is very hard. Uh, they do get get hurt. They get injured. But I mm-hmm. like to refer to it as a male soap opera, where yeah. I can just I, I can just kind of watch and check out of my head for a little bit, and not worry about exactly. this or that. Or. Especially like for the televised stuff that you see on quote unquote mainstream wrestling, like the WWE, the TNAs, and even to some extent Ring of Honor. Now that they're on television yeah. frequently yeah. i could definitely see the soap opera but then you get to the indies and it's a lot different oh yes and that's where, and that's where like uh, it's almost like it's greatest strength and it's absolute biggest detriment because when you get to the indie level you you don't really get the angles you don't get the storylines because you don't have weekly episodic television you have a show every four to eight weeks if you're lucky yeah so it's very hard to maintain some kind of like soap opera story angle to keep you hooked to keep you tuned 
in. And then at that point, it's like, how do you sell that to people? And that, that, that's where it gets very tricky. And honestly, I think that's the answer as to why like you see all these diehard wrestling fans. They're like, I don't understand. Like you hear people all the time, like with indie shows saying indie wrestling is where it's at. This is so much better than the stuff that's on TV. But why doesn't it do so well? And you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you called it a soap opera. Yeah, the soap opera is what draws the millions of people to watch it on TV. Yeah. But when you get rid of the drama and the storylines and it's very hard to draw that same people that's where you go from having a couple million people watching it on sports night 360 every monday night to you got 50 60 70 people if you're lucky in some sort of hall and like a lot of people just can't seem to figure out that are into indie wrestling why that is and that's it right there it's it's that soap opera entity and it's almost like it's almost like sometimes people almost seem like they're ashamed like a indie wrestling fan they, they, they don't want to admit <laughs> of the soap opera aspects for whatever reason that it, it it's like i don't know i, I don't want to like make it like say that a soap opera is a girl thing or something but it, it, it's a stereotype yeah that'll fall in and it's hard to sell a male on watching a soap opera right. you know it's like walking up some guy like hey did you watch general hospital this week no you know it's the same shit though but there's nothing wrong with that it's no different than watching even a show like House or Grey's Anatomy or yeah. Law and Order or whatever the hell you watch. Yeah. Like it, it's all the same shit. It's all drama. It's all episodic television, which you just cannot get at the independent level unless right. it's something like, say, Pro Wrestling Eclipse in Oshawa. But even then, they tape once a month, even though it has episodic television. But it's even even then, it's not even presented that way. You have the same episode on for two, three weeks before the next episode airs, and it's on a big ass delay. So just to achieve that at the independent level and remain profitable is nearly impossible. And I don't know, I, I kind of sidetracked and went off a whole, went off the rails there. I'm sorry, but <laughs> hey, don't apologize. That's what this is about. I have questions, but they're just kind of there. And I'm really bad for that. I'll just start talking, <laughs> and next thing you know, I'll be fucking on a rant. So. <laughs> Don't uh, mind me. Trust me, I can. Hey, hey, I can rant better than anybody. Trying to explain what my podcast is about, and it's just people talking. Trying to explain what a podcast is to someone who's never listened to one is near impossible. I found. And just, it is. Yeah, just like so. People listen to you have a conversation. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's it. exactly it. <laughs> but at the same time, we can even say to those same people like, "Did you watch Seinfeld? Yes or no." Odds are they're probably going to say yes because everybody's watched at least a few episodes of Seinfeld. Yep. And it's always been said, Seinfeld is a show that's about absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Yet it's one of the most successful sitcoms ever created. Yep. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's the same whole concept of a podcast, in my opinion. I compare podcasts to Seinfeld. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Either you're into it or you're not. Yep. <laughs> if you are, great. If you're not, who gives a shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's. I have uh, interest, different hobbies than uh, than their most. So. Hey man, as long as you have a hobby, it's better than sitting around doing nothing with thumb grasp, watching your life go by. Yeah, well, exactly. I listen to a lot of Kevin Kevin Smith stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and he said something what what today that him and Carrie Fisher were friends, and he was going on about the death of her, and he's just like, if you want to just make something, because if you put something out there, at least you mm-hmm. did creating something. You're doing something. You're yeah. And he's talking about whether it's painting, music, art, anything. You're creating something. You're making something out of nothing. Yeah. And just, I, I, Basically, I don't know. doing something that makes you happy. And yeah. at the end of the day, what the hell else are you supposed to do in life? Well, Be yeah, miserable exactly. and do nothing or do what fucking makes you happy. Yeah. You only got so many, a certain amount of years on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Man, so I make the fucking most out of it. Yeah, trust me. Well, I try. <laughs> oh, fuck. You're 
you're doing this. Yeah. We're having a conversation. Fuck good for you. It's a lot because... more than what a lot of people would do. Yeah, yeah. I get that. It's kind of like when I first started wrestling. I was looking for bookings. I, was, I didn't want to talk to the promoters. I didn't want to ask them for anything. I was like, kid you know it's almost like you feel like you don't have a place then as time goes on it's not so much that you get an experience and you get a place it's you had a place the whole time yeah it's a matter of finding the right people to give you the time and energy the people that actually want to you know yeah and generally the people that don't you don't even you probably don't even want to talk to them anyway because they're assholes (laughs) i deal with a a a lot of those on a day-to-day basis um Yep. Yep. That's what work's all about. Oh, deal I know. With assholes. Yep. That should it, be work it is. Public. Oh man, I deal with seniors. <laughs> Dude, that's where it's great to be heel and rest because oh, yeah. you can just deal with the public in the most evilest fashions ever and say whatever the fuck you want to, and it's completely okay. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, I can't walk down the street and start calling people pieces of trash and taking fun of where they live. <laughs> but in a restaurant, I guess fucking anything goes. It's totally oh, yeah. acceptable for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. How, how was it wrestling your significant other? <laughs> Which time? <laughs> oh, God. I I don't know. You've, uh, uh, let's do the Juggalo Championship wrestling thing <laughs> you guys you guys did. Oh, that was, that was great. <laughs> Considering we're both cranky as fuck, <laughs> because we went down on a Friday and we both had to work at least a half day, so we left at noon yep. and we had to get to whatever the fuck town, Ohio, by call time was at nine o'clock. The first woman show started at eleven p.m. and we basically got there at like ten thirty. Oh, and wow. Michelle, God bless her, I love her so much, but she is a very timely woman, and you know what? It's not a bad thing; it's a good thing. However, yep. me being Jesse, I'm barely on time for fucking anything. <laughs> <laughs> there we are, driving down to the car. I mean, we'll, like things will happen. Like, we'll drive past, like, Canton, Ohio, which where the NFL Hall of Fame is, and I'm a huge football fan. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome NFL Hall of Fame. I'm like, slow down. Like, we got to go. Like, no. The Hall of Fame is right there. You got to <laughs> slow down and at least look at the building as you drive by. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, yeah. she got there on time. But think of like for like my actual job, we do sprinklers and fire protection. So like my days start at like five in the morning, sometimes four in the morning. So at this point, I believe that time was the six a.m. start. So I would have been up at four, then had to drive an hour to Toronto to start work, and I worked till about eleven. Then I had to pick Michelle up at Finch Station, in Toronto, at twelve. Then we basically had call time was at nine, and it's. An 11 hour drive, so just by that timing, you're not going to make time. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Plus, you got to stop for piss breaks and Dunkin' Donuts and everything else in the way, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to stop at uh, some at some point. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So we did. And but either way, we got there, but then it's at the gathering of the Juggalos, and the gathering is just one insane, insane four day party, is the, is the only way I can describe it. Four day fucking party. Yep. <laughs> So you get no sleep, it's hot as fuck, it smells like shit, <laughs> but you're having the time of your life. Yeah, I've had friends who have gone and they keep asking me and I'm like, I have enough, I have a difficult time getting one one or two <laughs> two uh, days off. There's no way I can take off the uh, Three or four. Off yeah. the uh, time. I hear you. And mind you, when the wrestling shows go on at the gathering, it's like as the days go by, they start later and later to by the time when you get Bloody Mania on the Sunday. Yep. Bloody Mania is not starting until like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the lovely, the lovely flashlight. Uh, <laughs> the flashlight shows. <laughs> yes. Yep. 
So when we did our match, we had the all-ball brawl, and I was on the second night. So by the time our match even started, I think it was like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, after doing the day before the driving, Michelle had a match that night. Then you go around, check out everything that's there, all the people. Like I said, it's a party, so there's a lot of drinking, a lot of extracurriculars going on. <laughs> live music going on until like 2 3 o'clock in the morning and then after that there's even more live music on all the separate like mini tent stages so there's always shit to do and basically yep. your time to sleep is during the day but when it's like 40 degrees outside you're not sleeping during the day because it's so goddamn no. uncomfortable <laughs> and you're basically pa- you're passing out for like an hour maybe maybe two and then you wake up feeling worse than when when you went to, went <laughs> exactly. to sleep Exactly. Uh, so now all of a sudden we're gonna be like, okay, we gotta plan a match. And the whole premise of that match was we all figured I'm gonna be the heel. I'm the dude about to beat up a girl. Yeah. So we came up with whatever it is that we want to do. We had the whole match. Like, okay, this will be good. Whatever is gonna work. My music had to go out, and all of a sudden I'm getting this standing ovation cheer. So I'm like, oh my fuck, <laughs> we're screwed. You yeah. know. And then this is like, I'm sure we'll talk about like wrestling psyche later on, but this is why I'm not a person that likes to plan things whenever I wrestle for reasons like this because shit just happens and yeah. then what do you do yeah. you know so all of a sudden on this baby face that Michelle came out it's not like she got booed but it was still a, a mixed reaction for her where yeah. I was like the queer baby face and nobody expected it the promoters didn't expect it. The workers didn't expect it. We didn't even expect it. You know, we, we planned for something completely different. And then, like, I just remember the first part of the match. I looked at Michelle like, um, everything we talked about, throw out the fucking window. We're going on the fly. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> and that's how we had to do it. And we literally just kind of just, just did shit. And we just beat the shit out of each other in a way that we figured would be entertaining. But... <laughs> the opening spot and like there's only like one small clip video I, I wish it would have been filmed in its entirety but there is a pretty popular clip of YouTube I think it's got like 820,000 views now yep last I checked yeah. I, um, have, I have seen it <laughs> yeah so like it's like it's growing it's getting like five, ten thousand 10,000 views a day now it's getting ridiculous yeah. but the opening spot was uh, like I had this whole thing planned in my head you know like you know and like I'm playing off the fact I'm Canadian I had the Team Canada hockey jersey on and everything like that just basically expecting to get pure heat and not getting cheered. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I go through the whole opening spiel anyways, you know. Where we come from in Canada, we don't hit women. We're about being polite. We're about being gentlemen. But we're not in Canada, are we, bitch? And I just slap her across the face. <laughs> <laughs> which would have been fucking awesome like I thought for sure I was going to get heat but no they loved it the problem is is I, I don't A really realize my own strength sometimes and B I didn't realize the size of my hand compared to her head <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> when I slapped her across the fucking face <laughs> my fingers actually smacked her right in the fucking ears and then she couldn't hear anymore out of her fucking oh. ear <laughs> Yep. And to this day, she still can't. She still has trouble hearing out of this ear because of the slap. Like I hit her that hard. Oh. But like I would just like I'm anticipating like I'm like gonna slap Chad Warhead or something, right? Like yep. it'll be that. It'll be like across the cheek. But again, like I'm not really used to wrestling somebody that's like a foot smaller than me and my head the size of my hand the size of her head. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wound up and 
fucking drilled her <laughs> with a slap and smacked her in the ear. <laughs> and that pissed her off because she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, then it, so then it just turned into just like us just beating the shit out of each other, but in like comedic ways, you know? Like yep. she'll get a cookie, she'll be like, bake me some fucking cookies, bitch. But then she'll wind up and just fucking crank me with it as a receipt for the slap. <laughs> then like... I'll be like, take out the fucking trash whore. And then I'll like give her another receipt on top of that receipt back with the trash can lit the melon. And it just kept going up and up and up and up and up <laughs> to a point where we're like, there's a point where she actually has a plunger and she's like swinging it as hard as she could, just cracking me over the head with it oh. to the delight of the crowd. The crowd loves it. They ate it up. Because thank God they did. Hey, hey <laughs> the jugglos are a crowd unto themselves. They love what oh. they what they love. Oh, they sure are. And, like, my favorite part of the match is probably the part that I shouldn't be proud of at all. But <laughs> I thought it was, like, the greatest spot ever. Is as, as we're wrestling, because at this point, we're going on the fly, right? Yep. And I look, and there's this fan that has this big-ass cardboard cutout of Chris Benoit in the fucking front oh. row. <laughs> I'm looking at this cutout, like, huh. And this is at the point of where wrestling, like, no one's really doing the Benoit moves. You know, it's very taboo. But I'm like, yep. we're at the gathering. I'm putting her in the fucking crossface. <laughs> Because you never and, know what's going to uh, going to catch up. Exactly, catch and what makes it great is it's with me and the love of my life. Yeah, you know we we did, this is something we ended up accomplishing together completely by I don't want to say by fluke, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, because it wasn't something you, you were know? you were going you were going for. You just exactly just, at this point we're going... just kind of doing our thing, you know, and our thing ended up clicking so well that it got it it's got out there. And it doesn't because of that, but like it's very natural. And so and, and that's what's I, I take out of it is like we naturally on the fly because what we planned we didn't do because of the way that the reactions went it just wouldn't have worked it would have made no sense whatsoever and this is what we naturally came up with on the fly just doing it you know and yeah. I guess that that would be my story on that 
specific time. I mean, the other time would be the time when we first wrestled each other in Death Proof. It was me, Jules, and uh, Shane Sabre. And we weren't actually together at the time, but that was the match where we kind of fell in love. Yeah. It was... It was a couple of weeks after that. Actually, I think it was a month after that, month and month and a week or so, when we actually officially, quote unquote, started dating. And it was all because of this match that we had. And again, it wasn't like we're all lovey dovey going into it. It was just the chemistry, the natural chemistry was just shining through as we're kind of going through things. Even the build to the match, like, what do you want to do? And like, I don't know, what do you want to do? And at that point, the two is being Bill as a hardcore princess. And I'm like, well, if you want to be the hardcore princess, we got to make it do something that's a little bit pushing the envelope for you, something I haven't done before, something that actually somebody would say, that's hardcore, and I can't with something, let's do thumbtacks. Let me give you a small and drop of thumbtack. And even though like I'm not that big of a person, but to independent wrestling standards, the fact that I stand almost six foot two, I'm considered very tall. Yeah, you're so, right. So, and, and Michelle's not good with heights. <laughs> so there she is on my shoulder. She's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, because now she's up higher than what she's ever used to. Yeah. And I'm about to be throwing it in a big pile of thumbtacks. She's like, oh my God, let's not do this. Like, um, too late for that. <laughs> fucking dropped her in. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that was 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 one of the events I actually I actually was at. Oh, right on. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're there for the time that Jules Malone and Jesse fucking Amato fell in love (laughs) because I fucked her thumbtacks, and she gave me a tombstone that match too. Yep. Which surprised a lot of people that she's able to do it, and like yeah, the whole thing like she she caught heat for a tombstone that she did a couple shows before that. It wasn't a death group show. I forget what show it was, but a couple individual wrestlers were saying no that wasn't safe you know blah 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 and i'm like bullshit did she break her neck no did she get hurt no how is it unsafe that's yeah. about as good as you're gonna get if you got the guy that's supposed to know better saying that was unsafe and you could have killed her you did your job right because <laughs> you fooled the guy that should know better yeah you know yeah. and then that's the way i looked at it like you know what just for that you're gonna give me the tombstone because i'm twice the size of her twice the weight of the girl that she gave it to and then what's he gonna say when he pulled this off and she did yeah and also she's i really enjoy watching her wrestle she's really good man i know it's, it's a damn shame she's not in the bed and then uh, i don't know eventually hey man I'm hoping, i really hope for her sake yeah like she deserves it. You no, know. she's like she's one of my my favorites to to watch because she can go with anybody. I've seen her fight exactly guys, Girl, girls guys, doesn't matter. Uh, bigger girls, smaller girls, bigger guys, guys her size. I've I've been watching both of you guys for years now. She she was in that I don't want to bring up HRT, but six six man oh. barb barb yeah. barb wire match that I instantaneously started following all you guys after after that match because I've never seen anything live like it before, and it mm. was just uh, crazy. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. Let's bring up HRT because all right, let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Actually, <laughs> I I have written down in big letters, don't bring up HRT. <laughs> yeah, and here I am. Like I said, I fucked uh, up your intro, called you a dick and a piece of shit, and I was saying, let's do the opposite. Okay. Why not? Let's go yeah. on the script. Fuck okay, it, let's do it. Yeah, because, um, okay, the second one ended very, very shitty, but mm-hmm. I got to see you wrestle Masada twice on that second show, which yeah. I loved both both of those matches. I seen you wrestle on on the first one. I saw you do the six man with uh, God. 
every, everybody. Yeah, it was Warhead, P.D. Yeah. Flax, Jules Malone, Buck Gunderson, yep. um, Joey Kings, yeah, and... and no, I think. Warhead, Jules, Buck, War, oh, me. Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to a drink. Yep. Oh, it just... Drink break. Yep. Um, anything you want to say about that? Just um, Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. This is kind of how it worked out HRT in my head. Yep. I guess in a sense that I justified it. I justified a negative situation. Like you said, on that first show, you walked away Phantom Us. You went yeah. there guaranteed to see all the ECW alumni. Yeah. And you walked away to a point where I'm now sitting here doing this podcast. Yeah. And also, you know, that, you, that, that's a positive for somebody like me. Yeah, I went in there was, complete nobody, especially when you put my name against anybody else on that fucking show. I'm absolutely nobody. But to the people that were there, we walked out as somebody. Yeah. So there's definitely a positive, beneficial thing, especially on the first show. I mean, the first show, everybody got paid. There's no problem. It was great. Yeah. Mind you, going into it, we all kind of figured that we're going to get fucked. We just didn't know when. <laughs> oh, and yeah. none of us thought it'll be show two. Honestly, my honest thoughts was is when we're gonna get fucked was because remember before the second show they started announcing all these other shows that they're doing and selling pre-sell tickets and that should have been a red flag but I honestly thought that it would have carried on to that show that they want to do in London outside with Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. I figured that was gonna be the show when we all got fucked. Yeah. It was gonna be the Mick Foley show, the big one. Yeah. Um, we we all came out of that with a lot more than we came in beyond a monetary figure. Not yeah. much to the guys that are we're in the business like the two cool Scorpios and shit like that that were on the show to them it's a completely different story I mean they didn't yeah. need to be there beyond they need the money so yeah. that, that's where the sadness kind of comes in right but again to go into more of the positive take on things to me the most greatest thing about HRT2 specifically because of what happened was seeing how the wrestling community came together instantly without even blinking yeah without even asking and they made sure that the guys that needed to get to their flights, because, I mean, as we all know, flying into Toronto and out of Toronto is stupid expensive if you do it out of Buffalo or Detroit. Um, but here's the yeah. deal. These guys are in London, Ontario. They don't have rides to the border because yeah, they're all picked up and brought there, and now their rides are gone, and they have flights to catch. Yeah, and everyone... Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the independent and... town that drove up. Like, the guys like... Uh, uh, what The, the New York guys, right? Yeah, like the... Um, uh, shit, I can't think of the name on top of my head. But yeah, the guys from New York um, that came up, Frankie Villa and all them, mm-hmm. they all came up, and now all of a sudden they yeah. don't have the gas money to get home. Yeah. Um, like for instance, Lufisto, she needed a way to get home because um, yeah. she, she didn't have the gas money. And so what we did on Death Group because obviously Death Group was kind of like a part of the show. Like we weren't associated with it more other than we're talent, and part of us being talent is we wanted to advertise our brand, too. Yeah. And that's why you had so much death proof influx into those two shows. So yeah. we took our merch money, we gave it, we, we, we used the money that we made off our T-shirts, and here you go, here's your gas money. Get home, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and little things like that. You got people driving guys from London two, three hours to the border off, off their own dime just to do it, just because that's yeah. the right thing to do. You know, you had a groups of fans buying the New York guys' hotel rooms so they can have a place to sleep before they go back in the morning. Yeah. And just seeing that community band together and just get behind each other, like, to me, that, that was such a wonderful thing. Then, like, again, if you go to a personal level, like, for me, those two matches with Masada is what kind of put me on the map and got me to 
exit Canada and go down to the States and go do the Canada Death Match. Yeah. So, because, and just gotta and say, that's worth more than the three, four hundred bucks that got fucked out of. Yeah. You know? And that, that made me somewhat of a commodity in a sense. You know, that made my quote unquote rate go from a lower amount to a higher amount. And that's gonna happen each time I wrestle. So that money that I lost technically will be made back in the long run because of the doors that are open. Yeah. So was it really a loss? No. I still talk to Masada to this day, you know? Yep. He, he, he helps me out. I, if I have it back, I, I send it to him. And he gives me his honest feedback and he helps me out. It, it's creative friendship. It's creative bonds. Um, Balls Mahoney is on those shows. Yep. Now you see Death Group doing the Balls Mahoney Memorial show. And yep. that's because of a legitimate bond that was formed between us and Balls Mahoney. Yeah, and these are guys oh, yeah. that guys that you mentioned like uh, Masada, Balls. They were out in the crowd talking to people. They yeah. didn't, like Masada was hanging out at the, at the bar. I bought him a beer as a fan. That is a cool moment. And he's like, he actually told, "Hey, I thought there was a question and answer." And I asked him, "Well, can I ask you a, a couple couple questions?" He's like. Buy me a beer. Ask me as many questions as you as you want. So I kind of kind of geek kind of geeked out on him a little bit, and and then Necro walked up, and then I'm just like I'm standing here having a conversation with Rob Rage, Necro Butcher, Masada, and myself hanging out at a bar. I'm when else like that memory is sticking with me forever. It's not one of those things that are going to happen. Exactly, and yeah. that's why I think what I think should be taken out of HRT yeah. in a sense is let's look at the good yeah. fuck the negative I mean we can't deny that the negative didn't happen or anything yeah. like it happened but there's yeah. so much positive that happened too that unfortunately gets hidden by the negative and that's all purely based on perception you know I'm not shit on anything it's kind of like the whole thing like you wrote down in big letters don't talk about HRT yeah why not <laughs> Uh, because because, the, because back to perception. Perception is there was a negative time because there's a really negative thing that happened. But there's so much more to the story. I mean, Smash, for instance, Smash Wrestling. Yeah. A lot of, uh, actually, I think it blew up on Reddit, but still, there's still a lot of people that don't know that Smash stepped up. And for all the guys that were on the show that worked for Smash as well, Smash actually sent them their pay separately. This is a good gesture. Yeah. They stepped up and they paid guys. So there's a lot of good that's come out of that that I just think... doesn't get talked about. I think the community pulled together more. Like the guys, the people I've met at that show, I still talk to on on Facebook, or I if I run in run into somebody um, at one of the other shows, they're like, "Hey, how's it going?" Like one of the guys who was there uh, actually runs one of the local comic shops here, and when I walk into the comic shop, he's like, "Hey, Justin, how's it going?" I'm in there maybe once every six months. He doesn't re remember me because if I 10 bucks of comics every every six months or so i'm not i'm i'm not a a regular there by by any means last time he i was in there i started talking about the cruiserweight classic with him which is really cool cool to see uh cedric cedric alexander go go up yeah thank you (laughs) just i think it's really cool some some of the guys who i see at the local shows going going up which is just like uh johnny gargano i saw seen him in london running at the forest city rampage now he's he's the nxt tag tag uh, champ the 30 seconds i talked to the guy bought him his shirt like hey how's it going i'm like fine good guy wasn't a wasn't a, a huge conversation but now i can say hey i met that guy he's doing really really well but yeah it's just like 
all these little shows it's uh sorry as i said i go off sometimes too just the the community's really coming to pull together on it as you were said wrestling's just a funny business my friend oh it is like um what is it some people i i meet at the death booth shows are like hey justin how's it going it's just nice you you don't walk you don't walk into into a concert and be like walk up to two random people hey how's it going here i'll I'll buy you a beer that it's only at wrestling shows kind of a kind of yeah and and that's the great part especially wrestling at the independent level yeah i mean it's very intimate it's very tight-knit you know i mean you got some guys that don't appreciate fuck all and you're gonna get that anywhere yeah but there's a lot of guys especially death proof for instance that's a great example where the pre the appreciation is very much shown and given almost as in appreciate the fans come before performance of the show make sure that they feel appreciated yeah. you know doesn't matter how shit the show is as long as they go home to it, I felt like I was wanted here. Yeah, and it's not something, that it's, and it's not a gimmick either. You know, no. it's not like something that that's written down on backstage. Like you got to do this. It's something like the guys that are on this show are there for that specific reason because they show that appreciation. Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks again for listening to uh, what of this. Uh, this will be part one of two or three. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure right now, but just want to say thanks to Jesse for doing this. I really, really uh, appreciate it for taking the time out and letting me ask ask him a bunch of bunch of stuff and just shooting shooting the shit shit for a little bit. It was it was really fun just getting getting to board and arm. Just want to say if you are still listening to this, I recommend you go go see him February fifth at the Rock Pile in Etobicoke. Uh, death proof fight club it's going to be an an amazing show guys i'll get the next part up as soon as i can thanks